This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Please listen very closely for the discount offered in this following episode. Patsy Deloise Clark was a 55-year-old from Little Rock, Arkansas. She had six children and loved to bake. On March 7, 1987, her ex-husband, who lived with Patsy, told their daughter that Patsy had left three days before in a taxi and did not return. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel. And this is Unfound. From the intro, you can probably already tell that this will not be an episode where multiple theories will abound, like Brian Schaefer's or Mar Murray's although this mystery may not be as straightforward as you think. There will be no talk of social media and phones, like we had recently with Brandon Barron or going way back to Ashley Kohler. We don't have any video to analyze, like with Kyle Fleischman or Brandy Wells. Nope, no missing vehicles, like we have with Harry Milligan and Audrey Heron. Instead, believe it or not, we actually have a totally new topic that will get covered in the interview. However, this is a subject that I've mentioned before outside of an episode setting. Because in the disappearance of Patsy Clark, you're going to hear about what it's like when a person is working against his family to find out what happened to his mother. Why exactly is he... The one and only. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Patsy Clark got married to her high school sweetheart and became what was your average American housewife during that time. She kept the home in order while her husband went out into the workforce. Patsy had six children five boys, and one girl. She liked to bake. Patsy was known as being one of the sweetest people around. However, also like many wives of the time, Patsy suffered almost daily physical and mental abuse from her husband. Eventually, in the 1970s, this culminated in her shooting him. Yes, really. 
then divorcing him, although the two continued to live under the same roof. Yes, really. And this situation endured until her disappearance in 1987. So, on March 7th, 1987, Patsy's ex-husband, Bill, showed up at their daughter's house, saying that Patsy had gotten into a cab three days before and never returned. He said he did not know where she was going. She was never seen again. Police did not react quickly to Patsy's disappearance, and despite no taxi driver remembering picking Patsy up, the police took Bill's version of events as fact when they finally talked to him. Others who knew Patsy thought differently, but what made alternate theories possible was that Bill never physically recovered from the shooting over 10 years before and would not have been able to dispose of Patsy on his own. Like I said in the intro, this is a common type of disappearance although it doesn't seem to have a common type of potential resolution. But what I really want you to concentrate on is the family division that exists now, while you also try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, despite doctors saying otherwise, could Bill have been more capable than thought? Number two, what could have happened so many years after Patsy shooting Bill? And number three, are you open to the idea that Patsy's disappearance was more family-related than ever could have been imagined at the time? Patsy's family is surprisingly very split on their theories of what happened to her. The guest for this episode is Patsy's son, Dave Clark. Unfound News. Dr. Telesco and I had another wonderful time on YouTube talking and educating all of you about disappearances. This time, using myself as the missing person, I explained step-by-step how investigations happen and what goes wrong. Next, I now have a discount running at my teachable course, How to Podcast Better Than Anyone. Anybody listening to this podcast will get a discount of 25% at howtopodcastbetterthananyone.teachable.com forward slash courses by using the following discount code, unfound132023. That's unfound132023. This will be good until Tuesday, October 17th at noon Eastern Time. Finally, regarding the most recent unfound now, John Root Fitzpatrick has been found deceased. No cause of death has been revealed. His truck was located as well. However, Fang Jin is still missing. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the son of Patsy Clark, Dave Clark. Dave, welcome to Unfound. Thank you so much, Ed. I really look forward to this opportunity to share Mom's case with you and everyone that's listening. Excellent. And uh, everyone should know that Dave was a very, very prominent person in the missing persons community. 
in uh, the state of Arkansas for all of my non-United States listeners that's kind of in the southern United States. He's a very prominent person. And we're going to be talking about some of the work uh, that he is doing later after we talk about his mother's disappearance. Um, So I appreciate you uh, appearing, Dave. And I should say I've heard a lot about you, so it's finally good to have you on the podcast. Uh, Let's just start here. Um, Of course, Patsy is your mother, but where did you, if you have siblings, maybe you want to talk a little bit about them. Where did you all grow up? What was the the Clark house like uh, growing up whenever that was? Well, uh, we grew up in quite a few places, or maybe I should say we lived in a lot of places here in the state of Arkansas growing up. Uh, We spent a lot of time in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, which is Mm -hmm. south of Little Rock, about yeah. 40, 40 miles. Okay. Um, we uh, eventually ended up in Little Rock area, and, and that's where I have been for most of the uh, time since. Um, growing up, uh, there were six children, so wow. had five other siblings. Wow. And uh, life was uh, was not normal in... in, in uh, a lot of other people's eyes, but it's all we knew. It's all I knew and mm-hmm. what was going on and how the household was run. Um, so, yeah. you know, that's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the way it was. Uh-huh. Uh, six, and, uh, six kids. That sounds like a pretty busy house. And maybe I should ask, where do you fall in the, uh, the line there? Oldest, youngest, somewhere in the middle. Kind of, kind of in the middle. I am the, let's see, what, fourth. Okay. Uh, child yeah. of six yeah. and uh, I've got uh, two older brothers I've got one sister older than two younger brothers okay so one girl and five boys yes oh yeah. my goodness how do you how did your sister feel about that do you think <laughs> well, wow she, she made out pretty well I mean she could take up for herself anytime and every time she needed to of course um, uh, you know she probably would have Love to have had a sister, but she just had us guys. So. Uh huh. She was very protected, I guess. Uh, yeah, you she can was. Since five brothers. That is, uh, wow. Okay, I bet she did. Maybe wish that she had a sister. Five boys, one girl. You're kind of uh, in the middle. Uh, okay, very interesting. So you moved around, and you said uh, Pine Bluff. Of course, we've covered a disappearance in uh, Pine Bluff. I think Clashindra Hall went missing from Pine Bluff. That's a uh, Disappearance from me covered maybe in 2018, something like yes. that. Uh, very, uh, her mother, Laurel, was the guest back then. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So, um, have your parents, six children, growing up there, moving around, finally settled eventually in Little Rock, and this is where your mother disappeared from. So, let's uh, move on to talking about your uh, mother. Specifically, what could you say about her personality, her parenting style, her interests? You know, what are some of those things? And, you know, of course, she went missing in 1987. Right. I lost my mother uh, to an autoimmune disease in 2018. So, you know, I, you know, when I hear her name or think about her things that I think about, what do you think about first when you think about your mother, Patsy? Well, her, as far as her personality, she was a very warm, loving, loving mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, she loved all of us children as uh, as one. I mean, she she did the best she could, what she had to do, work with, and yeah. and uh, I mean, she was just, as far as I'm concerned, she was absolutely just a great mom. Uh-huh. Um, 
and um, she was a wonderful cook. Uh, loved to spend time in the kitchen, and um, you know, and mm-hmm. as far as her uh, interest in things along that line, she was mm-hmm. very craft oriented, and it may, meaning she she loved to make things. Yeah, and uh, uh, in fact. Uh, a lot of that has passed on, I believe, in the genes of, of those that have come after her, myself and grandchildren, love to make things, and I think it comes from her. Interesting. Uh, she was a very good, like I said, a very good cook, uh, loved mm-hmm. to bake. Everything was from scratch, not not uh, boxed or canned stuff. But no Duncan uh, Hines for Patsy Clark. No Duncan Hines <laughs> no. books for no. I mean, Strat. Strap on the aprons and yeah. let's go. That was, that's the way it was at Mom's in, in her kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, her styles were, um, she was not a, a real strict mom. I mean, she, there were rules, of course, and should have yeah. been. Uh, but uh, she was very uh, open and, 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 you know, would spend time listening and uh, having conversations with and, mm-hmm. uh so, uh, she was just a loving mother. Mm-hmm. Very, very loving mother. Did, uh, you know, and this may come up a little bit later in our conversation. Did she have any brothers or sisters? Was she close to her family? You know, parents? Uh, what can you say a little bit maybe about her? The, I guess her biological family, you know, your her, her parents, yeah. your grandparents. What can you say? Well, uh, yes, yeah, she had uh, a <clears throat> typical household in her her home growing up was father, mother, uh, older sister, and an older brother. So mm-hmm. there were three of the children in that household. She was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And uh, her uh, older brother was uh, uh, killed in, in 1966 in a, a situation in Chicago. Oh unfortunate situation, a, a robbery attempt. Oh my, shot. oh my goodness. Her, her sister, uh, older sister, Lived here in Little Rock area uh, mm-hmm. for most all of her life and passed just a few years ago. So, uh, mm-hmm. mom was the last one of the three children. Um, mm-hmm. And um, but it, 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 it was a good household. Uh, loved yeah. my grandparents. They were very mm-hmm. good people. Yeah. What's uh, what's your mother's maiden name? What was her maiden name? Her maiden name, Rydens. R I D E N S. Rydens. Interesting. Okay, I've not yeah. heard that uh, last name before. Okay. It's uh, not a real common last name at all. There's not many around. Okay. Yeah, kind of like my last name, Denzel. I know the feeling. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, she grew up in Arkansas then. I know or maybe your brother died in uh, Chicago, but that her family, she grew up in Arkansas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. Most of most, most them. Now, now, her father, my grandfather, was in the construction business, and, and that kind of... Uh, is the reason why there was some moving about mm, while yeah. growing up, not only with her and her family, but ours as well. Um, they kind of followed where my grandfather's jobs were. Uh, if they were long-term jobs, construction, they would move there and then um, mm-hmm. uh, move back to uh, the central part of the state. And eventually they did locate here in Arkansas, Little Rock area, and uh, mm-hmm. been here ever since. Okay. Let's, uh, of course, your father's uh, going to be uh, a topic of a lot of conversation in this uh, discussion that we're having, but we'll just keep it simple for the moment. How did your parents meet? 
Uh, they met in high school, um, uh, school sweethearts, best I can uh, figure. And um, I guess they did what high school sweethearts did, you know, mm-hmm. probably dated a, uh, a pretty good while and, uh, mm-hmm. and made plans to get together after school and, and mm-hmm. start that American dream. I'm, I'm, now, I never had that conversation with either one of them. I'm just going out huh. on a limb. So, I see. You know, that's I'm interesting. That's what it is. Yeah. All right. So you don't. Yeah. Uh, so they went to high school together, but you don't know a lot of the particulars of their dating and things. No, I do not. That's no. interesting. I'm kind no, of the same no. way. Yeah, with my parents, yeah. I really, uh, I know kind of how they met, but I've really never asked my dad, who is still alive. That's that's interesting. Uh, maybe we're kind of in the same boat on that, Dave. All right, yeah, so yeah. all right, so they went to high school together, and what year did they get married? Uh, 1950. 1950. Uh, soon after they graduated. Okay. All right, and what did your father do? What can you say about his work? Uh, you know, uh, what, did, what was his uh, occupation? Maybe tell the listeners a little bit about him just in general before we actually get into some of the problems of their marriage. What can you say about your father? Uh, well, after school, he got in the, uh, enlisted in the National Guard and was a, an aircraft mechanic. Huh. Um, and the way I understand it is, uh, he was, uh, very talented in the mechanical world mm-hmm. and, uh, he did that until he got out, of course. And then his father-in-law, my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, got him involved in the construction trade. And by the way, there were, uh, union pipe insulators, which meant they, they, they saw quite a bit of travel in, in the mm-hmm. job sites and, and pretty much, uh, they, they worked at uh, uh, paper mills and power plants and uh, things along that line. Okay. The majority of their, their uh, work scope. Mm-hmm. What is that pipe insulation, maybe for all of us who aren't into construction? Okay. What exactly is that? Well, uh, for, for uh, say, refrigerated lines, uh, oh. uh, Lines that need to be kept at a constant temperature. Oh, I see. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe a protective coating uh, yeah. for particular applications. But it meant that uh, they were, a lot, and a lot of times they were at a high elevation, basically uh, crawling about the the beams of the building uh, on scaffolding, ladders, whatever, wrapping, uh, uh, also applying. Uh, asbestos, so he was. They were they were uh, subject to come in contact with that daily, which, mm-hmm. as we know now, it is not a good thing to be in contact with. But they were mm-hmm. uh, hands on in that world back then. Right. There's uh, like uh, the kind of the insulation can be damaging to the lungs or something like that. Absolutely. Right. Uh, many right. many passed passed away with what they call black lung. Yes. I've read about this. Okay, yeah. all right, that, that does ring a bell. Kind of like asbestos and things like that. Asbestosis. Yeah, yes, right, sir. right. Okay, very good. Okay, and I should ask, uh, your mother is just uh, working at home, raising the kids, or did she have like a, a job or even a part-time job, anything like that? Uh, pretty much she was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. Uh, and, I mean, six children kept her busy. <laughs> I suppose so. Sorry. Ah. Yeah. So, 
but she was pretty much a stay-at-home mom trying to run the house and yeah. make it and keep it the best that it possibly can be. Um, on occasion, uh, she would uh, bake and, and, and sell baked goods, um, absolute best fried pie you've ever eaten wow. in your life. Now, uh, as far as going out and having a job outside of the home, I, I do not recall her ever okay. holding down a job outside of the home. Um, or craft, creating craft items and selling those as well to make extra income. You know, maybe maybe the uh, monies were not coming in from uh, my father's uh, payroll like mm-hmm. they needed to because of lack of work or whatever. Yeah. She was always willing to step in and help out. Okay. And I should ask maybe a little bit more about your father's side of the family. Uh, did he have any bro- uh, brothers, sisters that lived in the area, like where you grew up or where they f- live elsewhere? What can you say about his family? Uh, yes, he, he had, uh, there were six of them as well. Actually, two sets of twins wow. in his family, which is very unusual. It is. Uh, he, he himself was a twin, not identical, but uh, he was a twin. Then there he had two sisters that were also twins, and then, uh, two other brothers. Um, so they had a, a, a large household as well. Uh, my grandmother uh, did the best she could to raise them pretty much by herself, uh, mm-hmm. even though she went blind at the age of four. Uh, but she still uh, stuck in there as a wow. responsible, loving, caring mom and, and, and did the best she could with those six children. Wow. So that's pretty much it. I mean, they, they pretty much lived here in, in the central Arkansas area as well. Okay, very good. Yep. Let's move on to this. And I know this is a very difficult topic to talk about, but we have to. We do these things on Unfound. Of course, we talk about uh, all sorts of bad topics uh, that the earth uh, offers between drugs and crime and you know sex trafficking and all these things. I do have to ask you about domestic violence between your parents uh, as much as you want to say, you know, what can you say? What did you see? And when was it maybe that first started registering you as a young man that, you know, something was going on here that didn't seem right? What can you say about that? Well, um, it, this, is, this is a very unfortunate part of life. And yeah. Uh, one thing that I strongly advocate against, there's no place on earth for domestic violence. Uh, Absolutely. If you've got, if you're having disagreement with an individual, your spouse, uh, your partner, whatever, um, you've got no rights to lay a physical hand on nope. either. Either way, that goes both ways. Yeah. So uh, get away from them, uh, deal with the issue, and work through it, or just separate. But you don't have a right to to physically beat on anybody. Right. Uh, so domestic violence is is not okay with me, and um, that's something I really push. And advocate against. Right. Uh, at an early age, very early age, I'm talking uh, preschool. Uh, at the beginning of my school years, uh, I started to notice uh, the, the the fussing and fighting, physical fighting, mm-hmm. uh, more coming from him being the aggressor toward her, and uh, of course, uh, it would it would basically make me and my siblings want to 
of course, go out of the house. We didn't want to hear it. We didn't want to see it. Yeah. But uh, we could tell, and I could personally tell, that it was uh, something that was wrong, shouldn't shouldn't happen. And many, many times uh, I would see my mother uh, with bloody nose, bloody lips, oh. black eyes, uh, teeth even being knocked out, you know, and it's just a horrific thing to witness as a child to watch uh, your mother or your father, depending on the situation, you know, being physically uh, abused like that for no, in your mind, no apparent reason. I mean, it's just like turning on a light switch and there it goes, there it comes. And uh, so this happened all the time. I mean, when when my father was home, it was like walking on eggshells. Uh, you just never knew when things were going to explode. And, of course, she was his uh, target. Yeah. He lashed out and took everything out on her. Um, you know, and here's the thing is they were, they were legally married, and there's a thing called wedding vows that you take. Yeah. Most do. And she took those very seriously. In her heart and her mind, she was absolute 100% married to this high school sweetheart. But yet, he acted as if there were no boundaries, there were no bindings on him. He could do what he wanted with you, who he wanted, where he wanted, mm-hmm. how he wanted, as long as he wanted. And you don't dare question it, lest you want to reap uh, the mm-hmm. physical uh part of what he would dish out to you um and and sometimes it would spill over to the children and uh, that wasn't fun at all you know uh, the, the way you remember this was this um was this brought on you know, as we know uh everybody knows i've never been married and, and think so i don't have any you know uh, experience with long-term relationships and things but was this brought on by uh, just his personality, or I, you know, I know that sometimes like drinking can bring this on. What the way you look back at it now? Of course, you're a grown man. You look back at it now. Yes. What brought this on? What was it within your father that brought this on? You think now? Well, um, that that that's still kind of puzzling in a way because I, mm. I I do ponder on that that exact thing. Uh, Try to figure that out, and, and and I will say this: I never one time saw him take a drink of alcohol, but I huh. saw him drunk a lot. Huh? Now figure that that yeah. little mystery out. You know, he he was a a very good at hiding his alcohol, but I did see him drunk a lot, and uh, so was was that part of it? I don't really know, but I do know he was. He was intoxicated a lot, and when he was, he was a violent person. Uh, It's unfortunate that sometimes alcohol affects us like that, and sometimes it's just the opposite where you're funny and goofy and loving, but in him, it was like absolute crazy water, and Mm -hmm. he was nutso, and he would beat on her every opportunity he got, but um, Mm. as far as what really caused it, you know, yeah. I asked my grandmother, uh, his mom, yeah. uh, I said, what, what's the deal here? What, why is he like he is? 
And her response was this, David, I raised a monster. I never corrected him. I never told him no. He always got his way, and nobody ever stopped him from doing what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, with who he wanted to do it, just like I said earlier, for as long as he wanted to do it. So basically, she said, I helped create him without stopping him from doing what he wanted to do and treating people the way he treat, treat even mm-hmm. even her. He wasn't really good to her. His own mother. He didn't. Yeah, uh, wow. I, I'm not saying he. I'm not saying he physically beat on her, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying he wasn't really good to her. Okay. Uh, what was your father's reputation outside of the home? Was he like that with other people, like at his job, his friends? Was he also? I don't know if he got in freights with his friends, but was he abusive that way, or was this, as we know, this happened? Somebody who's Mister Personality out in public, but behind the scenes is a complete yep. monster. What would you say about your father on that? Well. Just, let, me, let me just share this with you, the listeners. His nickname at work with his co-workers was Wild Bill. Wow. That was actually huh. uh, painted, painted on his heart net, Wild Bill. So he was mm. a rounder. I mean, he, he uh, obviously loved to uh, mix it up with the co-workers or anybody that didn't agree with or said anything mm. Contrary to what he thought, uh, he's willing to, to go to blows with you. And he was just, uh, you know, I, I say this uh, all the time. We do live in a world of monsters, and yeah. they are around us at all times, sure. everywhere. And I totally, totally believe that I did grow up okay. in a house that, that had a monster in it. I really do. <laughs> Uh, you know, we know, of course, you know, this is 1950s into the 60s. I think domestic uh, violence and abuse is a lot more of a, you know, topic these days. And I'd like to think that yep. we're all working on that. And we're not just talking about uh, straight relationships. We're talking about homosexual relationships, all sorts of different relationships yep. that, uh, you know, there are a lot more you know, places for people to go to get help and to get away and, and women's shelters, things like that. But back then, uh, did the police ever get called? You know, anybody ever call 911? Anybody, uh, law enforcement ever step in? Any of that? Do you remember any of that? Uh, never, never happened. And here's, here's why. He had everybody, and I'll start with mom. He had mom believing, and I, and I believe this today as well, based on what I witnessed. He had her believing, he had us believing, that you go to the authorities, you report him, uh, you're not going to like the outcome of when I get a hold of you, him being the one speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, many times he would beat on mom and, and beat her so severely that... Uh, he would lock her in a in a in a uh, rear bedroom and not let her out for days until the black eyes uh, went away or the busted lip uh, went down to where she could open her mouth and eat or drink, where you know where she could move about without moaning and groaning, which would reveal to somebody uh, observing her that she's injured. You know there were there were not uh, family members uh, allowed to come over. Uh, because if they came over, 
uh, they may realize what kind of a household we live in and how violent it is. So he was a very dominant person in that regard. Mm-hmm. He kept that old saying behind closed doors. Uh, not many really knew what was going on. And okay. after beating mom many times, uh, every once in a while, a window of opportunity would present itself for her to escape. And who wouldn't in their right mind, out of survival, uh, for survival, uh, flee and, and, and try to recover from the beating you just encountered. Right. And she would make a call back to the home, make contact with him and say, Billy, I'm here, I'm there, wherever. I'm going to need a, a little time to kind of heal up a few days or whatever, and then I'll come back. And he, I, I can, says if I can hear him say this morning, Patsy, if you don't get your blankety-blank tail back in this household, these kids are going to start getting what you got. Mm-hmm. Well, now, that's going to open a mom's eyes. Yeah. What's a, a loving mother going to do other than this is fly back into harm's way to protect her brood, her children, and as soon as she would cross the threshold back into that home, he'd lay into her. So, I mean, it was like the most horrific thing you've ever witnessed in your life of a fight, knockdown, drag out. And it was all aggression from him. Uh, yeah. You know, on occasion, she might throw something at him out of defense or whatever, or threaten him with something if he came at her again. But he didn't care. He feared no one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the aggression was always one-sided coming right, from course. him to her. And uh, as far as the police being called, no, it didn't happen. And this was part of it is you call the police, these kids are going to get it. Or you tell your mom and dad, these kids are going to get it. You know, plus he had them fearful, them being the, the relatives. Don't come over here sticking your nose in my business. Don't put yourself in a place it doesn't belong. Yeah. Take care of your household, I'll take care of mine. And that's the way he looked at it and the way he handled it. Nobody came over. Nobody crossed him. Now, he's a pretty good-sized guy, about 6'4", 5", about 275, strong wow. as a bull. You know, meaner than a snake. Did it ever get to a point, though? Of course, we're talking about the kids. There was five boys, one girl. Did it ever get to a point, though, with all of you that you grew old enough that, um, you know, things kind of changed, you know what I mean, where he, you know, he was, not, he, you weren't, you know, six years old, and it, you know, but you're now you're 17, which, you know, is different, and he yes. had to, he got, he maybe backed off or something on all of the kids. Well, you know, I, I look, I look back on that today, and I wonder why the two older brothers, uh, they were strong enough. They were big enough. Mm-hmm. They could have made a difference. And I'm not blaming them for what no, he did. No, it's, it's all on your father, surely. Yes. I, I, I do not recall ever seeing them, witnessing them, intervening on mom's behalf at all. Now, uh, I, I think that kind of is normal that most kids kind of fear the father, the, the father figure, mm-hmm. especially if they're violent. I mean, they yeah. don't want to test those waters. So when it starts in, most everybody flees for their life, if you will. The kids run out of the house. Uh, But I do know at the age of 14, he and I finally physically 
tied up, if you will. Oh, wow. And it was over something just absolutely crazy. Uh, he was intoxicated, sitting in the uh, uh, living room as I was heading out on a Friday afternoon with me and my buddies. His question was this, where are you going? Well, uh, uh, me and my friends are going out running around for a little bit. Uh, do you need some money? No, I, I don't need any money. I've got my own money. Oh, you're too good for my money. No, that's not what I said. I've got my own money. Listen, from the age of six years old, when I finally first realized that, hey, you know, every Coke bottle that I walk past is worth at least a nickel. That's free money. So I've always been one to, and I'm not bragging, I've always been one to kind of figure out how to make my own money. So at this particular time, I had pretty much a full-time job as a kid uh, working at a Holiday Inn in, in South Little Rock as a porter. I was making good money for a kid of my age. So, no, I've got my own money. Thank you. Oh, you're too good for my money. Like I said, no. I'm not too good for your money. Well, he got up and he grabbed me and he shook me. Well, I pushed away from him. He grabbed me again and he backhanded me. Well, I hauled off and hit him right, right in the nose wow. and broke his glasses and we got into it. Of course, he outweighed me about 100 pounds and was nearly a foot and a half taller than I was. Mm. So, you know, we struggled there for a while and yes, he got the best of me. He, he should have. I mean, look at yeah. the size difference, the strength difference. But uh, his co-workers knew, and I'll say this, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you facts. His co-workers knew that he'd been in a fight with somebody, finally. Mm -hmm. But they didn't pressure him on who and why and all that because he told them just back the H off, you know, mm -hmm. and don't question him. But as far as I know, that's pretty much the only thing, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, fight between me or any siblings with him um, the rest of them just avoided him with uh, with all efforts you know mm -hmm. because they didn't want him crossing but um, was this a situation you know, where all of your brothers and your sister could not once they became old enough couldn't wait to get out of that house because of what was yeah. going on yeah absolutely I mean it was like come on certain age let me get mm -hmm. out of here you know provide me the opportunities to move out uh, the older brother moved out and got married at a young age. Uh, the next to the oldest one uh, kind of followed suit. And uh, then the next one to leave the nest or the home was myself. I, mm -hmm. When I left, there was the older sister and two younger brothers there. Mm -hmm. You know, but listen, it was, and the way I looked at life at that time was this. Everybody for themselves. The ship is going down, fend for yourself, and do what you have to do in order to survive. And that's my that's, that's my attitude. I didn't mean anything derogatory by it, by leaving any siblings there. I mean, I wasn't the father. I was a child of the, the home. I was a sibling to the rest of them. Mm -hmm. So was it my responsibility to gather all the others up and take them with me. Well, I, I'm just, when I left home, uh, you know, I was still young. I was yeah. still a teenager. Right. But the day that we had the fight, I told him, I said, I'm going to tell you right now, the first opportunity I get, 
I will leave this home and I will never, never return. Hmm. Well, he said, good, do what you got to do. You know, and it was not long that that opportunity presented itself and I did leave. Let's now move up to, all right, so we've got a very uh, clear picture of what was going on in the Clark uh, House, I guess, 50s in, 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 and the 1960s. But eventually, I, I have to ask you about this. She ended up actually shooting him, correct? She actually ended up shooting him. Uh, please explain, of course, you were not there when it happened, but please your, explain your understanding of what happened. Maybe your mother told you about what happened later, but what is your understanding yeah. of how this all happened? And what year was well, this? Okay. Uh, let, let me add a little bit to what I was just sharing, and that is regarding this domestic violence. Yes. Uh, I will say this about my father, is pretty much everybody, everybody feared him, nobody questioned him, and, and he had this understanding that if you call law enforcement, uh, you're going to reap the, uh, uh, it's not benefits, but you're going to reap what I, what he dishes out to you. Right. So, um, unfortunately back then we lived in, we, we lived in a very, uh, male chauvinistic world where the women, listen, you get married, you get in the kitchen, you have babies, you keep the house, keep your mouth shut, you do what you're told, yeah. when you're told, and how you're told. And that's kind of the way he looked at life. Okay, mom was to do just those few things in life, and that's it. Well, it's unfortunate, but the system kind of operated that way, and 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 the uh, local law enforcement was never involved. Okay, because of that right there, you call them, you contact them, you're gonna you're gonna get it. Right. So nobody opened their mouth. So. Uh, a victim of domestic violence over a period of time after some severe domestic violence, day in, day out, day in, day out, same old, same old beatings, uh, physical abuse, domestic, uh, uh, psychological, uh, emotional, all the types of abuse you can imagine, um, is so severe that they reach a point of wondering, when is it ever going to stop? What do I have to do to make it stop? Well, everything mom tried didn't work. Uh, meaning, maybe I'll dress a little nicer tomorrow. He'll change. Maybe I'll mm. cook his favorite meal and he'll change. Maybe I'll keep the house cleaner and he'll change. Maybe I'll just speak in a loving way to him and he'll change. He'll treat me different. Well, that never happened. No, it doesn't work. She could do all of that, and it was always the same beating day in, day out. So they reach a point that they've got to figure out a method or a way to escape, and they see one of two ways. Either the aggressor is going to kill the victim, or the victim is going to be pushed to a point of no return and kill the aggressor. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that they can see it ever stopping because of the volatility, the violence. It, it's just unbelievable what it was like in our household. Now, one 
Friday afternoon in high school, she came to me, she being my mother, said, David, I would like to borrow your truck. Well, no, that didn't go over good. I'm not going to let you borrow my truck because, you know, it's my truck. It's my mode of operation, uh, means of travel. Uh, I've got to go to work this afternoon. Uh, but she kept on and on. Finally, she says, let me borrow your truck, please. I'll be back this afternoon. I said, well, where are you going? And she said, well, I'm going to go pick your father up and surprise him. That way he doesn't have to ride all the way home from South Arkansas with his co-workers like he does every week. So after thinking about it, I finally gave in. I said, okay, fine, but you've got to be back here by 3 o'clock because I've got to go to work. I'll be back. I'll be back, she told me. And I believed her that she had the intention of being back with him at that point in time when she told me. But unfortunately, she didn't make it back. Uh, I missed work. And uh, so huh. there we are at, at home. And uh, a Pulaski County Sheriff's officer rolls up in the driveway, knocks on the door, we answer the door, and he says there's been a, a, a horrible situation that took place that uh, my, my mother had shot my father. Well, this is, this is hard to really wrap your mind around as a, a teenager, but... You know, today it makes sense. I mean, my gosh, you, you, you push and push and, yep. and beat on somebody. You know, you're going <laughs> you back you back an a, a wild animal into a corner. I guarantee they're going they're going to get you. you know, when you reach in there and grab them, they're going to bite you. And it's just a matter of time. You know, you keep beating on somebody. Uh, you drive them to uh, these uh, points in life where how am I going to get out of this? And so it happened. Uh, he's driving my truck there in and around Star City, Arkansas. And I don't know what was going on inside the truck. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. Absolutely nobody today knows what was going on. Right. Now, because I know him and I know what he used to do and what he was capable of doing, uh, listen, I've been sitting between the two of them uh, in our 1957 DeSoto, uh, and him backhand her. Now I'm sitting in the middle of the seat. He's mm -hmm. driving. She's in the passenger seat. The other siblings are in the back seat. Now, and he backhands her for no no apparent reason. Just backhands her. Maybe he didn't like the way she was looking out the window. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he he didn't like the fact that the sun was shining. Who knows what going yeah. on? But he backhanded her this one particular time, and his elbow hit me in the face, and his closed fist backhanded her, broke her nose, and splattered blood all over the inside of that DeSoto. And then she opened the door, fell out in the street. So that could have been going on in my truck. I don't know. Okay. I, I, I just don't know. So anyway, she pulls out a thirty-eight pistol and unloads it in it. Now, he loses control of my truck, runs off the road and crashes. Passerby stop. She gets out, says, call an ambulance. I just shot my husband. So, 
that happened in and around the first part of September of uh, 1975. And one thing we, we've not talked about, Ed, is the fact that in 1974, she legally divorced him. Right. And threatened, threatened to leave him. You know, but uh, they, they just had, they had this, this, this uh, relationship that was, in, the way I put it, is a love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. Can't live with each other and they can't live yeah. apart, you know. Right. And it's something so, that's a kind of thing maybe we're much more aware of today than we were back then. You know, these yes. kind of toxic relationships that, uh, it, right, there's so much emotion going on that two people who cause violence to each other can't leave each other. Yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. You know, and, and, and uh, of course, they, they, they picked him up in the ambulance and rushed him to a to, uh, hospital at Pine Bluff. He's, he lived, he didn't, he didn't die. Um, wow. They resuscitated him a couple of times. I think he was in such bad shape uh, that he did, you know, Technically, he passed, but they brought him back twice. Wow. And um, I'm telling you, uh, he was a mess. I uh, lost um, one of his lungs. He, he had uh, both both his kidneys shut down on him. His intestines were ripped to shreds, and he mm. had a colostomy bag. He couldn't hear. Uh, one of the bullets had nicked a nerve and caused mm. him to go deaf somewhat. And so he was a mess. And... Uh, Wow. He was in the hospital for around six months, best if I can recall, and uh, trying to recuperate and, and get back to uh, some point of, of, of well-being where he could be discharged. Mm-hmm. What, uh, any charges brought against your mother because of that? Well, not really. Uh, she huh. was, uh, for, of course... Uh, uh, taken into custody, and, and uh, they put her through a lot of evaluations uh, to try to figure out her mental state. Uh, was she aware of what she did to him? Uh, was she not really uh, capable of, of fully understanding the magnitude of what she did? Uh, what what would have pushed anybody or her to do this? And so she went through a, a, a series of evaluations uh, within the state uh, hospital s- system, and one doctor ruled that she was, uh, at this particular time that it happened, uh, suffered from uh, a form of insanity and wow. uh, had her sent for more um, diagnosis with other specialists. Uh, here in Little Rock, so they could really kind of figure out the situation and what was causing this. Well, after a period of time and being put back on some medications, uh, she was able to get through the evaluations, and, and they they deemed that uh, she's she's fit, she's capable, she understands everything, and was it just a period of uh, insanity that, you know, based on whatever was going on at that moment, triggered this? Was it um, premeditated? We don't know this. Mm-hmm. We know we know what happened. We know what events 
not necessarily that day, but we know what events led up to this building ever since 1950. Right. Uh, you know, you can only take so much. I, I've never been there in that situation physically. I've never been on the receiving end of it like she was, but I cannot imagine what that could do to a person um, from head to toe, you know, mentally, psychologically, everything. Um, there's got to be a breaking point or a jumping off point, in my opinion. And like mm -hmm. I said, what was he doing? What Did he do something to her while they were driving that provoked it? Was she just carrying that, that weapon for protection in the event? And did something happen? Based on what I know and what I witnessed, I would say that yes, he provoked something. Did it come out uh, during, of course, he's in the hospital. Did it come out finally that she had been suffering from the domestic? We were going to get to how they were actually divorced at this time. But did it eventually come out that she had been being abused all those years, uh, you uh, know, in the investigation and all that? Not so much that you would, you would think or hope. And it just, it's very, very puzzling that it never really came out and was entered into the system that, hey, look, he's been beating the, 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 the mess out of this lady uh, forever and a day. He, he brought this on himself. Nothing like that's ever in the system. He's got no, no record in the system as a uh, abuser at all. And what I think is because... She eventually was allowed to come home after when he came home as well. And uh, I believe that she was to the point she was going to. And uh, he uh, somehow, there was never really any charges, uh, official charges brought against her. Now, there was some stuff, some documentation that was created in the system, but it kind of uh, went away. Huh. That's, very, that's very puzzling and, and, and curious why it went away. Why, why she didn't face charges? Well, it leads me to believe that uh, I think he recanted uh, any uh, possibilities of, of letting the system charge her with attempted murder. Wow. And because out of fear that she's going to spill the beans, if you will, and the world's going to know what... Uh, W.J. Clark was and what he was like. Uh, and he didn't want that to go forward. He didn't want anybody to know his secrets behind closed doors. All right. So uh, did you ever have a chance after this happened, uh, you find out about all this, did you ever, you know, in the aftermath of this in 1975, I guess, did you ever talk to your mother about this and what she had to say about that? Did you ever talk to her one-on-one -on -one about this? Um. Yes, I, I'm sure I did, best of my uh, recollection. Uh, when she came home and then he came home, this was uh, very bizarre to see this happening. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a, and I described him earlier, uh, about 275, 6'4", 6'5", strong as knobs, meaner as snake. And all of a sudden, here comes this little skeleton wrapped in skin in a wheelchair colostomy bag ivs 
I mean, he's pathetic. Yeah. Okay. And here she's sent home to take care of him. That's basically what she was sentenced to do. You go home and you, according to the, the judge, uh, you go home and straighten up the mess you created talking to her. Well, it's not really that she created it. He did. And, uh, but a conversation with her, uh, we never really got into it. Um, I can only imagine why, why it happened based on what I've witnessed all those years leading up to it. Uh, he would never, he always, even when he got better, where he could uh, communicate and hear, uh, he always played it down like it was no big deal. You know, maybe well, he just about got shot and died, and it's no big deal. Well, okay. That's a, okay. That's an arrogant attitude he had, yeah. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back to that, but we need to now uh, just go back a little bit. The divorce, I mean, I, I, given the way you've all described it, I know you're telling the truth 100%. It's hard to imagine that your mother got to the point where a divorce could happen that your father would grant it. I mean, how did that even come about? How was that even possible? I, I guess what I'm saying is that she even brought it up. I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't kill her, given that this divorce, she wanted to get a divorce. Maybe you can explain that. Yeah. Well, uh, as long as they kept it back, a lot of people were not ever aware that they were divorced. Uh, that was one of the conditions. It's got to be kept quiet. And uh, because for him to get divorced, in his eyes, meant he failed. And right. Everybody else's he didn't want that. See, he was, he was, he was the king of the world, so to speak. And for him to be divorced by his wife, that means, uh oh, I'm not as in everybody's eyes, I'm not as good as they think I am. But we're going to get divorced, and we're going to live together, and that was their agreement. But uh, okay. mom never would leave, and mm -hmm. and many a times I would ask her. Why don't you just leave? Why don't you leave? Well, we don't have any, and she'll say this, we don't have anywhere else to go. We, her, us, we. So, had she not had children, she probably would have left him early on. But the fact that uh, there were six of us kept her pretty much at the home. Okay. So, at some point... I guess she brought it up about getting divorced, and your father was like, yeah, we can do that as long as nobody knows and you never leave. Right. Yeah, you uh, so just carry on like uh, like we have been, uh -huh. maintain a household, uh, you keep house, I'll work, and nobody will know the difference. So that's pretty much it on concerning okay. that. Uh, you know, it's okay. just bizarre that that she went along with it, but she did. Okay. Uh, after she shoots him, and then bizarrely, the, the shooter is the one who has to take care of the victim at home. Uh, of course, you were not living at home at the time. Maybe none of the children were having, living at home at the time by the time the you know mid-late 70s rolled around. Uh, did the abuse continue? Uh, it, it continued in a different way. It was more uh, verbal, than physical, 
because he just was not the physical uh, individual he was prior to the shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but old saying Leopard never changed their spots. I mean, he's still the same old mean monster inside. He's just mm-hmm. <laughs> he just can't get up and do what he used to do. But he's still mentally he's still thinking and, and, and talking and, and spewing the same venom toward her that he always did. Okay. How often, uh, getting into like, you, you, of course, you moved out as soon as you could. It sounds like uh, your other siblings did as well. How often, uh, you know, come around the late 70s, where of course we're going to get up here to 1987 fairly quickly here, but getting into the late 70s, early 80s, you know, what kind of contact did you and your siblings have with your parents? Of course, they're divorced, but they're still living together. As you said, maybe the verbal abuse, mental, emotional abuse is continuing. I mean, were you getting together for like Christmas, like the 4th of July? I mean, what was going on late 70s, early 80s between all of you? Um, there was not much going on at all. Um, I left I left home uh, in and around 77 and never looked back pretty much, uh, which, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, left a sister and two younger brothers there. Right. And... Um, as far as family get-togethers or things like that, they, they, they didn't happen. Didn't happen. It's just something that wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, what's, <laughs> Mom tried to do what she could. Right. I do remember uh, Christmas holidays. She tried to make the best of it. Um, and But, you know, sometimes it takes money to do things, and if someone doesn't give you money, meaning the spouse then you can't really do much, so it handicaps the whole situation. And mm-hmm. so a, a lot of what most people uh, know as normal uh, wasn't really the case at our home. And nobody really wanted to go into that home once they left because they knew what was in there. They knew what happens. And, you know, after all those years of... Uh, encountering and going through all the abuse that took place uh, directed toward mom, um, right. I sure didn't want to go back in right. and see or you know, be a part of it. So, you know, I leave. Uh, the other two brothers are already gone and, and setting up their lives. And uh, so the sister eventually moves out and uh, along with uh, one of the brothers and the other, other brother finally moves out on his own and mm. we're all gone. Yeah. So Just the two of them. Uh, Just your mother and uh, father then, after all this, a home alone. Yes. Okay. Yes, and so who knows what really took place in there. I think she was kind of growing her wings, if you will, and was mm. able to get out and about and get away from him, especially since he was not physically the same monster he used to be so mm-hmm. her having a, a car uh, she could come and go as she wanted or needed to mm-hmm. and uh, didn't have to uh, you know get permission to do whatever she would just do it but mm-hmm. life wasn't, still wasn't good no you know uh, she still for some crazy reason still just wouldn't leave him what, uh, what kind of conversations, if you can say, were you having with your other siblings regarding that situation? Once again, once most of you are moved out, you're all, you're all adults, 
having your own lives? I mean, how much did the conversation about your mother and father come up, if you can say? Uh, it didn't really come up a whole lot other than, uh, like, if I would make a call to one of them, if you have you seen mom, talk to mom, how's mom doing? Uh, because there, as far as uh, making a direct call into the home to talk to her, uh, rarely did they have a phone in the home. And I think uh, my father uh, did that on purpose. Yeah. There's no way to call for help. So um, we kind of communicated about her uh, to each other on occasion, not, not real frequently. And uh, because I knew she was just unwilling to leave him. So yeah. maybe, you know, maybe there was a, a point in time where there was some frustration uh, that I wish she would leave him, but mm -hmm. I wish she, I wish she would leave him, but she never would. And, you know, I, I got frustrated at the, at the situation. Yeah. And uh, I just never could figure out why, why, why. I mean, why would anybody want to stay with somebody like that? And, uh, you know, I made many offers to her to financially move her wherever she wanted to go, but she always would come back and say, well, no, uh, I married your daddy. Mm -hmm. I'm his wife. Well, he doesn't treat you like his wife. Yeah. Right. So. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. Um, so now we're up into the late seventies and into the eighties. You're all moved out. Uh, but those two are, uh, still together. Now the way you look at, you know, moving up to 1987, uh, the way, of course, you know, the day of the disappearance is March. You're as best as you can tell was like 1986 into 1987, any worse for the two of them than any other year? Were there any changes going on? Or was it just kind of the same thing that had been going on that whole time when we get up closer to the disappearance date? Um, well, at the time, <clears throat> in, around that time in 86, actually, uh, I lived in Fayetteville, Arkansas, northwest part of the state, uh, around uh, 1980 to about 92, somewhere thereabouts. Um, didn't have much of any contact with her because there were no home phones. Mm -hmm. And only time we would have conversation would be if she called me on a payphone collect, which was rare, you know. And um, so as best I can uh, remember, things were about the same. They, they never really changed. They just kind of uh, continued on, the two of them. And uh, Halloween night, 1986, okay. uh, she shows up un unannounced at my home in Fayetteville huh. late. Now, I mean, no call, no letters, hey, I'm coming, or anything like that. Just yeah. all of a sudden, I, I get a call from home now. I was a, uh, I was a milkman at the time, and uh, I was out r running my early route, and I went to work at 1130 at night, and uh, I get a call not far from that time. I hadn't been out long working that night, and, hey, your mom's here. And I said, what? Yeah. Wife said, your mom's here. 
I said, well, this is wild. And she said, well, she's in the hospital also. Wait a minute. So you got, now she's here, but she's in the hospital. What? You're going to explain that. Yeah. Turns out she, she shows up unannounced in Fayetteville. She shows up unannounced and instead of calling and saying, hey, would y'all come give me a ride um, here to visit or whatever. Um, she's walking down the road. We lived about a mile from the bus stop. And anybody that's familiar with Fayetteville, Arkansas, there's a street up there called Dixon Street. Now, Dixon Street is full of restaurants, bars, and establishments that serve a lot of alcohol. I'm not saying anything negative. I'm just telling you okay. kind of what was up and down that street. All right. Well, there happened to be an individual that was on Dixon Street and was intoxicated, decided to drink and drive, and he hit my mom as he driving down the road. Wow. Uh, fled the scene, and she was in pretty bad shape. Broken leg, cracked ribs, broken pelvis. Oh, my. Uh, I mean, really messed up. So, yeah. after a, a period of time in the hospital, she's released. She comes to my home to uh, heal up and recuperate. And uh, she's there for from October up until early first couple of weeks of December and when she gets physically released from her doctor's care she wants to come back to Little Rock okay against my wishes uh, no, I can't stop her I can't keep her up here she's a grown woman she can do what she wants so now imagine this the person she's about 160 pounds she's not a real strong person uh, about five foot three and she's on crutches in a walking cast or a walking boot. And it took a pretty good while just to get her on the bus. Uh, I had to stand behind her and help her navigate the steps up into the bus. The bus driver had to help her uh, safely come on board and then get her to her seat. So it caused a commotion. It drew attention. Yeah. Everybody noticed she was getting on board. So, and this, this will come up in a little while in our conversation, okay. but that was the last time that I actually saw or spoke to my mother, and that was December 12th of 1986, Fayetteville, Arkansas, while she was boarding a Greyhound bus, wow. en route back to Little Rock. Wow. I see. Wow. And so she and she does in, of course, the official disappearance date, at least according to the records, public records, is March fourth, nineteen eighty-seven. So we're talking three months. Yep. Of no of no contact, no letters, no calls, no face-to-face no. -face contact. No, not not with her at all. Um, now I had mm -hmm. communicated uh, with siblings, and yes, she made it, and yeah, mm -hmm. uh, they were interacting, uh, not real frequently, but on occasion they would see each other. Uh, have conversations or whatever. Uh, right, maybe I should ask you that. Would you, uh, your impression from late 80, uh, 86 and 87, was there another sibling of yours that maybe kept uh, more tabs, more contact with your mother and father than you did? Or would you say that you were uh, all about the same? No, they, they did have more contact. They did. Because I was in the northwest part of okay. the state. Okay. All the rest of them, except for... Uh, say one, two, all the rest of them but one was here in Little Rock area. Okay. 
so they they would have interaction with her. Okay. Yes. All right. And did they have when the, being that they were having more interactions? Did they pass along anything to you? Anything noteworthy that sticks out now? Nothing that need, nothing that would cause any alarm. I mm -hmm. mean, it was just the same old, same old. You know, they live mm -hmm. together. Uh, they get into it. No, nothing physical like days gone mm -hmm. by, but uh, you know, same old, same old. Okay. Uh, did your mother then, uh, as best as you can tell, fully recover from those injuries? Or well, did she have uh, some lingering problems because of them? Well, I, I, would, I would imagine that she, she had and was going to suffer from lingering uh, issues. Mm -hmm. uh, broken leg, pelvis. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, December 12th, 86, the last time that I, I saw oh, her right. or spoke to her, so... I never really got any follow-up uh, information, you know, from her. Uh, it was always second-hand from mm -hmm. one of the other siblings. Okay. But uh, she was uh, she was still on crutches and still in a walking cast or walking boot in order for her to navigate and get around. All right. Uh, as far as your father goes, of course, he gets shot in 1975, uh, maybe a, a mere shadow of his former self. But did he end up going back to work? Did he go back to doing whatever he was doing? Was he able to do that? No, no. He never never returned uh, back to the construction trade at all. Um, in fact, he was uh, uh, required to go to uh, a dialysis center uh, um. for a long time. He had to go. Uh, every day because both kidneys had failed and mm -hmm. ultimately he was they were able to get one kidney working and he had to go multiple times a week for dialysis so he was he was pretty much handicapped for the rest of his uh, life okay and he never returned to the construction world okay Let's now move up to March 4th, uh, 1987, which once again is the official date. But I have to ask you, uh, Dave, once again, being that I know you know a lot about missing persons cases, you know, doing just, your, of course, all of your other you know, work besides your own personal experience here, but all of the work you do. Um, is March 4th, 1987 a very firm date or would you say that possibly her disappearance date is a different one? Of course, considering it doesn't seem like a lot of people were keeping in contact with her, doesn't have a phone, etc. Um, how firm is that March 4th date? Well, uh, I received a call uh, Saturday, March the 7th of 1987. Okay. From a sibling, my sister. And her question was this. David, have you seen Mama? I oh. said, well, I haven't seen her since December uh, when she came back home. Why? Well, Daddy, that's what she called my father. Okay. Daddy came out and said that he hasn't seen her for three days. Okay, so there's only basic math. You know, it's March yeah. the 7th, three days. That'd be March the 4th. And uh, so... Is that a solid date? Mm -hmm. I, I, I really don't know because based on what I know about him and he, what he's capable of doing and all the lies he's able to share and those he did share, yeah. uh, 
she could have disappeared earlier, but I go with March the 4th because that's the math, the simple math and how it figures right. works out. Okay, because once again, given the way you've, of course, uh, described all of this to this point, you know, they seem like a very isolated couple. Uh, yes. And of course, you even admit, not blaming you, I completely understand you had not talked to her or seen her since December. And uh, given that um, they don't have a phone, on and on and on, you know, I, the listeners and myself realize this seems like a situation where the disappearance date could be have a wide range Especially when we can consider, if we're to consider that your father caused your mother's disappearance, then the range gets very, very wide. And that's why I'm asking you about March 4th. So that is how March 4th came to be, is because of what your sister on March 7th said, that what your father said. Um, so I'll ask you this. Is, as far as people you trust, who was the last person to see or talk to your mother before March 4th? Who was it? Once again, not your, of course your father wouldn't count because I know you don't trust him. So who was the, who would be the last person that you trust who saw or talked to your mother? Um, Can we even say? Well, it's hard to really put a finger on that. Who really? Yeah. Who who may have been the last person other than him to ever or last see her? Right. Uh, um, I, I understand that at some point in time before her official disappearance, uh, she appeared out at my sister's home, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I don't know the circumstances, what was going on or anything like that, but there is conversation that, have, that has come forward in years past from uh, my sister's daughter, my niece, saying that she remembers grandmother coming to their home on a rainy day uh, in and around this particular time, which would have been before she disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who else? Uh, it, it's really hard for me yeah. to s- say uh, as a matter of fact, because mm-hmm. I wasn't here. Okay. And, uh, the other siblings should have, I was, I'll use that word, should have been in contact because they lived right here. But were they? Did they? I don't know. I guess maybe we might speak, uh, did your parents ever go to church? Who did the food shopping in the family? Something like that where one of them might have appeared, you know, in public somewhere. Your mother might have appeared in public somewhere. Once again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a family member, but maybe uh, a priest or somebody like that who says, oh, yeah, I remember she was it. You know, I don't know your religion, but you know what I mean? Something like that. Uh, Mom, listen, all of our growing up life mom tried to do the right thing at all times and that yeah. was in my opinion uh, she tried to keep us in church yeah. and uh, that was a very uh, a volatile part of life and, and me, what I mean by that is uh, it was like the existence of light and darkness good and evil yeah. uh, every time uh, she would take us to church growing up. I, I remember this so vividly. Is he would cuss God like you would never have heard before in your life, oh my. Uh, and, and then cuss her. It, it's like uh, it was as if the devil himself was right there, uh, uh, you know. So it was a constant, 
constant battle between my opinion, good and evil in our home. Uh, and everything she tried to create, he did his best to destroy or eliminate that. Yeah. You know, as far yeah. as uh, going to and from the, from the store, grocery shopping or whatever, that was all mom. She mm. always did that. That was, and he, and he would say, that, that's your job. Go okay. to the store. Well, you know, that's just the generation thing that existed back there. That male chauvinistic attitude that he had, you know, hey, you're the woman, do it. Right. All right, so I guess what we're saying here is we don't have any, like, outside confirm confirmation of anybody else saying, well, you know, I remember seeing her on March 1st or March 2nd no. or February 28th or something like that. No, I do, I do not have anything. Mm. Okay. And, uh, okay. That would put her in a particular place. All right. So what, of course, you like you said, on March 7th, uh, your father drives out to your sister's place. I'm guessing that had to be odd, beyond odd, beyond odd. I'm guessing that's not something he usually did. No. No, right. he uh, rarely ever went out there. Right. But on that particular day, he shows up. And and what is the story? What story did he actually ask? You know, have you seen your mother? Of course, she, your sister hasn't. But what does he say happened on March 4th? Uh, what he says is this. And uh, his story is that she... She got in a taxi cab and left the home. Well, what caused that to happen, if it did, was my question. I never got an answer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was investigated by the uh, local law enforcement that actually has the official case on mom. And in making contact with the, uh, the, the company, uh, they were able to prove that that never happened. Yeah, I can't uh, imagine yeah. Fayetteville has too many taxis. This isn't New York City. How many taxi companies can there yeah. be in the Fayetteville area? Not very many. Well, well now keep in mind, she's in Little Rock. Little Rock, I'm sorry. Little Rock, yes. Yeah, uh, well, there was yellow, yellow, black, uh, yellow cab company and black and white cab company, I think one other, but uh, yellow and black and white were owned by the same entity, uh, one, one organization. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so even back then, listen, they didn't have, and your, your, your listeners will understand this, I'm sure, but uh, back then it was kind of hands-on, if you will, uh, handwritten notes. Uh, they would type records, and right. yes, but they, had, they had radios, but you know, it was way before cell phone and this and that For sure. time that we have today, but uh, records indicated that there was no taxi dispatched to the home, there was no, never, never anything in their records that indicated uh, that taxi that he said picked her up um, was flagged down on the streets uh, or anything of that nature. He claimed that she got in a taxi and drove the ball. Well, that was proven not to be a fact. And just uh, just the way you, once again, I understand that you weren't around her much. Or your siblings maybe yeah. weren't around her. Did your mother, of course, you've already said your mother was perfectly capable. They had a vehicle she could drive, right? Uh, my father had, my father had a, a car. Uh, whether or not he really let her drive it, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, not being down here really handicapped me uh, as right. far as 
having first-hand knowledge of, of much of anything, everything I got was second-hand or, or sometimes third. You know, it's very unfortunate because things change from one person to the next in conversation, unfortunately. Right. So uh, I don't know that he would have allowed her to drive her or his car because keep in mind now, I suspect she would have still been on crutches due to the horrific injury that she suffered just uh, five, six months before. Wow, she would, you, you think that she was still on crutches six months later? I do. Wow. I absolutely do. Okay. I mean, she, was, she was just... Uh, Four months later. Yeah. She was a very soft, delicate person. And uh, I just I just have a feeling in my gut that uh, mm. she would have still been on the crutches in some form. Now, still wearing a walking boot or cast, maybe not so much mm. that, but I do feel she would have been uh, dependent on the crutches. Okay. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you think it was common... For her to ever use a taxi in the Little Rock area to go anywhere, did, did you look? Yes. It was. Yes. All right. It so. was. I mean, especially. Okay. Listen, especially back in the day when he used to physically beat her. Right. Uh, she would escape the home, and uh, maybe she sees a taxi cab and she would flag him down, and they pick her up, and take her out of harm's way. Uh, maybe it was uh, the city bus would be running through the area do the same thing you know there there are some uh, uh, storylines out there that are not necessarily accurate that I've tried to correct over the years and I finally stopped because you just can't get it all removed especially yeah, on the internet I know. Uh, concerning her travels yeah. uh, and she did travel on the bus quite often but there was a reason the reason was to flee for survival she would get on a bus to go here, there, here, there to recuperate. It's not so much that she traveled out of luxury or right. like liking it. It was, I've got to escape. Well, a lot of people have twisted that over the years. Said, well, she loved to travel here and there, here and there. And it's not so much the truth. Uh, it was survival that would kick in. Okay. So... I guess what we're establishing here is it was not odd for her to uh, use a taxi or the bus to get somewhere because she wasn't allowed to use the car. But what you're also saying is at least on March 4th or around that date, nobody could find any records that anybody ever actually picked her up that day. That's correct. There are no records. Okay. Indicated that uh, a bus, a taxi, or anybody else, personal vehicle, came and picked her up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And that ends part one of my interview with Dave Clark, son of Patsy Clark. If you're wondering why suddenly I'm splitting up some of these episodes into two parts, actually this came from you, the listeners, with some of you expressing that the episodes could be easier to listen to if broken up into pieces. Thus, for any interview that now goes over two hours long, 
I split it up into two episodes. Hey, I'm here to serve. Please now go to part two of my interview with Dave Clark right here on your podcast app.